listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. turning your Bibles to 1 John 2. The ushers are coming forward with some Bibles. We'd love for everyone to have a Bible because there are great things we're looking at today. And, um, and you need to have that. You need to be bringing a Bible. Encourage you to do that. God's Word. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take one of these. Take it. It's your gift. It's our gift to you. Just take it. Read it. And then upgrade it. Okay? Um, this is a starter Bible. I mean, there are many other good um, study Bibles, but this is just a way to get the Word of God in your hands. And, and there's many good study tools and different things that are also available that we're going to have for you shortly, some of these to make available for you to, to be able to even get some um, good resources into your hands, but also some, um, some study Bibles in that as well. First John chapter 2, we're going to be looking at that in, in just a couple of moments. We're going to be working through the first 11 verses of that. I remember a few years ago having a conversation with my younger brother and uh, there's six kids in my family and I'm um, the second oldest, the oldest male, um, biblically the firstborn, as I would always remind my sister that she just could not stand me saying that, so I say it again, um, just even though she, she's not here, um, I just love saying that, but I have a, my, the youngest in our family is, a, uh, is my brother Murray and I remember one time having a heartfelt conversation with him because he had just finished going through a nightmare, wedding proposal, acceptance, and then rejection. And it was bizarro. It was like one of those out of the, uh, out of the, the scary books of, of life of what had happened. And he was left hurting and confused and wondering what was going on. And I remember him asking me the question, how do you know when it's the right one? And I said, dude, I don't know. Like there's certain ways you need to pray. You need to, you know, like, know in a sense what you're looking for, the, those, those, those values and these questions qualities, but beyond that, and as you seek God, then, then you just know, and he says, but how do you know, and, and what's the answer? You just know, and, and how do you know? Well, I don't know, you just know, and, and he says, well, I thought I knew, but I said, but in your heart of hearts, did you really know, and he says, no, I didn't, and, and aha, uh-huh. and, and it was a few years later, he called, and he said, hey, I found the right one, and, uh, and, and, and just a godly woman, a little older than him. And, uh, and, and it was just exciting to see, no, not yet. And, um, and take it off. And, um, and, and as he was, as he got married, um, I remember asking him, I said, well, even before he got married, I said, but how do you know? And he says, oh, I just know. But how do you know? He says, I just know. I just know that she's the right one. And, and it's been a crazy run for them all right now. We, we can go. They now have four kids. You can put the picture up now. There we go. Four kids, four and under. Their twins were born last summer just as their oldest son turned four. And so they have their hands full in about an 800 square foot house and, uh, in Regina. And it's chaos and it's crazy and they're loving it. And it's just been exciting. How do you know? Well, he just knew. And, and what we are talking about here today, what we're talking about is bigger and even more important than the, than the decision of who you will marry. Now that is a big decision and, and you need to know what you're you're going for and, and, and to know that you know when, you, when you're, you're going towards marriage. But today we are talking about knowing and, and uh, but the ramifications of what we're talking about are, are for here on this earth and for eternity. And today we're talking about knowing that you know that you have authentic faith in Christ. How do you know that you know that you are saved? This is an important, this is a vital question. How can you know? 
Does God even want us to know that we are saved? Or maybe we should just keep questioning our salvation and, and you know, just to keep us sharp, just to keep us on the straight and narrow. And so we should always live with this, this fear, um, you know, that, 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 that we may not be saved. And so that will be a motivator for us to, to do good and, and to pursue God. Is that what we're to do? No, not at all. That is not what we are after. God's word tells us that there are, though, however, a lot of people who have prayed a prayer or, or have done certain religious activities and ceremonies and they look the life, they walk the life in so many ways. It looks from all appearances they, that they have an authentic faith, but tragically and sadly, they are mistaken. And we know that and we see that from, from Matthew chapter 7. Sobering words where Jesus is saying there, depart from me. I never knew you. And they said, but Lord, Lord. And they give the resume and they say all that we've done. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. Those are sobering words. And so the apostle John, he wrote these words and he wrote 1 John so that we could know. And, and we see that very distinctly. It, this word know is, is mentioned at least 38 times in 105 verses. He wants us to know. He wants us to know that we have eternal life. And, and kind of the theme for the whole book is found in, in 1 John 5, 13, where he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That word know, encourage you to circle that, and then in your notes, encourage you to write this down because this is important. This isn't just a head knowledge. This, this, is, this, is, this word know means absolute assurance that you can have absolute assurance that you have authentic faith in Christ. And I believe today there are many who perhaps believe that they do have, have authentic faith in Christ and may not have authentic faith in Christ. And there are those who have an authentic faith in Christ and you're wandering in doubt and fear. And I trust that today as we look to God's word and as we look at the, the book here of 1 John that we would know because John makes, says here and declares it to us that we would know. Assurance of, of salvation is something that every believer though struggles with. If you have uh, if you've struggled with it, welcome to the club. Uh, you're going to struggle. We will struggle with it at times. D.L. Moody, the great um, preacher and evangelist years ago, um, had a woman come up to him and said, I've been saved for 25 years and I've never had a doubt. And you know how he responded to her? I don't think I would quite respond like this, but he did. He says, well, I even doubt then that you're even saved. It's like, whoa, you know, that's pretty serious. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, the Apostle Paul tells us we need to examine ourselves. We do need to look at our lives and, and we need to, to take a look within and see what is going on, what has gone on in our lives. We may and we will struggle from time to time with doubt. Remember Satan, he's the accuser of the brother and he's going to try to, I mean, say things, do things to get us off track, get us distracted and thinking that, that, that we are not saved. And yet through careful study of the word of God, careful self-examination in our own lives, there is something, assurance of faith is something that can and should be overcome. And when we have those doubts as we are growing in our walk with Christ, those doubts and those struggles should lift quickly as we come back to the reality of our walk with Christ. In the end, assurance is a gift. 
I believe very much assurance of salvation is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.15, write down that reference and read it later. Romans 8.15, it's golden. And it goes into verse 16 as well. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There's some assurance there when the Holy Spirit is bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's golden. You can go to the bank on that. One of the reasons, though, we struggle and the struggle is very real is, is, is that oftentimes when we take that inner look at what's really going on in our lives, not what we're portraying to everyone else, but when we look at what's really going on in our hearts and in our minds at times, and you, you sometimes wonder, how can I be saved and struggle in this way? How, why do I sin like this? How can I be saved and do this? But then what we, we need to do is we need to keep looking to the cross. And we see the answer in that is the cross that Christ died for all of our sins and, and that we continue to progress in our walk with him in that way. Bottom line, God wants us to have blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Amen? He wants you to have that. And, and we can see that assurance that, that rises out of these truths that we're going to be looking at here today. And perhaps you're here and you've, maybe you're one of these people who've secretly have have prayed the prayer like a hundred times. Every time you hear the sinner's prayer or you watch a Billy Graham crusade, you know, or, or, or something, I guess it's not Billy anymore, but Franklin, or you go to one of these crusades or, or at the end of a service and there's an opportunity to pray the prayer and you just kind of pray the prayer again just to make sure you said it right in case it's never taken. Maybe this would be the time that it would take. And, and, and I don't know if you're like that at all, but, but it's one of those things that just because you've prayed the prayer hundreds of times, doesn't mean necessarily that you have authentic faith. Listen to this. Assurance of salvation comes not by remembering a prayer you prayed in the past, but the posture you are in the present. That is so important. Assurance of salvation, authentic faith, comes not by remembering a prayer that you prayed in the past, but the posture you are in in the present. When you read 1 John, you can tell that John, I mean, he's old, and we're going to get into that today. Maybe even, we might even joke a little bit that his mind is starting to go. He's this old-style preacher that just kind of keeps circling back to various themes throughout these five chapters of 1 John. He's kind of like that pastor who just didn't know how to land the plane at the end of the sermon. He just kind of keeps cycling back. And, and in 1 John, he just keeps cycling back to three key themes that you see even in the logo here. Uh, and, and those key themes that, that he cycles back to, and we're going to see it today, Jesus, obedience, and love. Those are so key. Those are so central. And, and we will see these in the first 11 verses of chapter 2. And you may also want to write down, along with Jesus, obedience, and love, here's some B words that kind of go along with that as well. Belief, behavior, belonging. And, 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 and having a right belief in Jesus. And we talked about that a number of weeks ago. About behavior that we are obedient. That our behavior is going to be affected when we have authentic faith. And we're also going to have love. There's going to be a love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. For the body of Christ. And, and a belonging to, to the body of Christ. And, and so these are, are, are some important marks. And, and in these verses here today we're going to see this loud and clear. Belief, behavior, belonging. Jesus, obedience, and love. And so today as we look at 1 John chapter 2 starting in verse 3, 
is uh, where we picked, up, picked things up from, from last week. As we look at the text again, it says, And by this we, there's that word, know again that we have come to know him. And so by this we know, and he's going to tell us how we can know uh, once again here. And, and remember, the word knows means absolute assurance. And so the first thing that we see, and we're going to just actually move backwards for a second here, though. My salvation is accomplished by Jesus. That is vital to this. And, and that's what we, we stuck there last week in the first two verses of this chapter. My salvation is accomplished by Jesus. And I want to read and declare these verses today. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But, it, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What's this all about? What, what did he just describe here? What's he talking about? The gospel. He's talking about how Jesus saves us. And, 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 and there's a great danger that we just breeze over these truths. We just kind of float along in the truths of the gospel rather than, than appreciating them deep, deeply in our lives and, and allowing them to, to, to really become something that we grasp more and more throughout our lives. And last week we talked about the, the divine courtroom, if you remember that. And, and encourage you, if you did not listen to that message, if you listen to that message and it will make even more sense with, with today's message here. But there in the divine courtroom, we saw some important uh, figures. First of all, God the judge who is holy and just. Satan, the accuser of the brothers, demanding punishment and our death. And then we have the defense. But before we get to the defense, we have the accused. That's you and that's me. But in walks Jesus Christ, the defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous, our advocate. He's never, ever lost a case that he has been asked to try. Satan comes up a loser, loser, loser every time that he tries to bring charges against someone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus came as a result of the heavenly father, the judge, Holy and true, sending his son. Jesus came, second member of the Trinity to this earth. He lived without sin. He went to the cross and was substituted and substituted himself for our sins. And remember the big word we looked at last week? Jesus propitiated the wrath of God that we deserve by suffering the full penalty in our place. It's important to know these words and understand these words. You understand really big words and crazy terms when it comes to your favorite coffee. Why not get to know and understand these words that are, are so foundational to our theology, to our understanding of the gospel? And Jesus took those sins upon himself. He propitiated the wrath of God that we deserved. Everything that happened to Jesus on the cross should have happened to me. And because Jesus Christ, the righteous, our advocate steps in and pleads our case, not ba based on our innocence, not based on our righteousness, but on his and when we believe and receive Jesus in this way into our lives, he takes our unrighteousness and he gives us his righteousness. He takes our rebellion and he gives us his obedience. He takes our heart of stone and he changes it and he gives us a heart of flesh. We are justified. We are declared righteous in that moment that we choose to believe and to receive Jesus Christ, the righteous, into our lives. When we and that belief leads, leads us to repent and to turn from our sins. 
The Bible tells us that at that point we become new creations. The, the new has come, the old is gone, and we are given a new heart with new desires. And instead of running into sin and, 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 and courting sin in our lives, we are running away from sin. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And a great danger is we can just assume it quickly and not appreciate it deeply. And this is why it's so important that, that we do that. Even today as we are singing songs about the gospel, so many of our worship songs are a reminder to us about that. Remember last week we talked about being absorbed in the gospel? We just don't want to float along as, as, as this sponge in the top of this water. We want to be absorbed in the gospel truth and, and, and we see that in the word of God. We worship Jesus. We, we sing songs that remind us of these truths and, and throughout the day it's going to get drained out of us and, and, and by the Spirit's power as we, we come back and we ask God to fill us again and, and give us a fresh love and a hunger for the word of God and truth. We are absorbing ourselves in this truth and it's vital that, that, that we are there, that we just not skim over and breeze over, just assume the gospel, but we, we appreciate it deeply in our lives. This is why it is impossible, folks, to, it's impossible to meet Jesus and not be changed. You say, well, there's a lot to change in me. It's like, yeah, there's a lot to change in all of us, especially some of you. And I'm looking, remember, it's a mirror today. It's a mirror. I'm talking to myself. There's a lot to change in me. And my family would all say, amen. There's a lot to change in Meldon Lutzer. This does not mean that we won't struggle in our lives with our flesh. It will war against us. But we have the Holy Spirit within us to help us, to change us, to convict us, to, 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 to remind us of, of the truth of God and, and to call us to repentance. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about making spiritual progress. Blessed assurance that Jesus is mine understands that my salvation is accomplished in Jesus Christ alone. There is nothing I can do except to believe this truth that we've just been talking about it and receive it personally into our lives. Blessed assurance understands it's Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Second of all, my salvation is authenticated by obeying faithfully. Now let's go on with verse 3 here. I'm going to read the next few verses. And by this we know, once again, here we see, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Our salvation and the assurance of, of our salvation is simply not a past experience, but it is a present obedience in our lives, and it's being obedient to the word of God. It's not just a prayer that we prayed. It is a present obedience in God's word, following his ways. Look at it in verse 3 and it says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. The word keep is an interesting word there. Again, I encourage you to write it down or, or underline it because it is, it, it's actually a, a, a mariner's word um, used by sailors. In John's day, sailors navigated and chartered their course by the stars. And they would set sail by the stars. And, and, and then during the day as they would sail and they get tossed to and fro, they would go in different, uh, get, get, get off track. They would see the stars once 
once again at night and they would be able to chart their path once again. And so here we see, um, here that it means that God's word is a guide for our lives. It sets our course. It's not a suggestion book. We may get blown off course. We may get distracted. We may get confused by what happens in life. Sometimes the events of our lives can be very confusing and we can wonder, God, what's going on? And next thing you know, we're kind of charting off away from God and we're kind of going our own way or we're just like in, in some anger or some confusion towards God. And, and, and yet when we look back towards the word of God, it sets our course. It helps us to understand. It gives us wisdom. It gives us insight. It gives us direction in how we should live our lives and, and how we can trust him in all things. It's not just merely a suggestion book. It is a guidebook to all of life. Remember God's word. Uh, remember that God does not say, if you do these things, I will love you. It's like, okay, in order for God to really love me, I better keep all of his commandments. God says, I love you. Let me help you do these things. Let me help you be obedient to the word of God. We're, we don't do this alone. As we get to, as he mentions here, we do this through our abiding in Christ. The Bible is not to be a confrontation. It is an invitation to life, to real life. Love is the motive for every commandment in the Bible. Sin And not following the commandments leads to a life of bondage. Following the word of God, as as I said, is it's to give us life. It leads to joy. And so oftentimes we'll think that that we can circumvent this or find our life and our joy and our satisfaction, our peace and other things. And it doesn't work. I was talking to one of the men in our church here and he was telling me how recently he was at a birthday party for a friend of his at the coast in the 70s, who's in his, in his 70s now. And, and the property that they have is worth at least $50 million. There's three houses on the property and they're grand houses and, 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 and beautiful and, and, and the, the architecture and the work is, is just incredible. And I saw some of the pictures and, and, and this couple in their 70s, they, they are so rich. They are so stinking rich. They have money just pouring out of them and yet they're fearful. They're questioning. They don't think they can trust anyone. They're not happy. The thing that that so oftentimes we think will give us the joy, the peace, the satisfaction, God's word tells us it's not found there. It's found in the word of God. It's in giving yourself away. It's in giving and being sacrificial with your money. That's when the joy comes, and yet the world will tell us differently. God's word, every commandment and what he calls us to do leads us from bondage to freedom, to life. In verse 4, he says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Folks, this is a serious statement. If a person willfully, knowingly sins against the word of God with no conviction, no remorse, in fact, just with justification that it's okay, that person needs to get saved. I'm not saying it. God's word is telling us this. You say, well, I walked the aisle years ago. I marked the box. I got saved. I guess I'm just backsliding right now. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Folks, I want to tell you, in light of God's word and what we read here, that's dangerous living. Only God fully knows your heart and knows that commitment that you made, but you're, you're walking the line very dangerously. And this is what, what John has referred to as we were looking back in previous weeks about walking in darkness. If sin does not break our heart, if sin does not, when we're convicted of it, if we can sin and there's no conviction of it, we have to really be wondering, do we really know the God of the Bible? There's a lot of other gods out there that will tell you it's okay. God will understand. 
And yes, we will sin. We will struggle. But that, there's that conviction of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. And, and we confess that and we make that right. And then there's times where, where we think, I got this, I got this, I think I can. And, 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 and we're working through this. And this is where James 5 becomes so powerful, where we confess, we admit our sins to one another. We have others walk with us. And there are certain victories that will not be had in your spiritual life until you engage the body of Christ to walk with you in this. I know this full well. <laughs> I know this more than, than I'd care to admit that so oftentimes I think, okay, I'll, I can do this. I can walk this. I, I can't. And I can't. I, I need brothers and sisters in Christ. And I've learned this lesson at times very painfully. And so we need others in our lives. If sin doesn't break our heart, we really have to question, do we really know the God of the Bible? One of the greatest dangers when it comes to the word of God is this approach. I know what God's word says, but here I'll tell you what I think. Or God's word is a little off here, a little old fashioned in this area. And it's like we think we're smarter than God. Like, how does that work? Or we say times have changed. You know, culture's changed. God and his word have not changed. You can say, well, I know what the Bible says about sexuality and marriage and, 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 and what, what you can do and what you can't do and, and what mar about marriage and all these things, but culture's changed. But God's view on sin has not changed. And instead of conviction and turning away, we end up questioning and justifying. Did God really say that? Did he really mean that? Is that what he's really talking about? That statement, did God really say that? Or did God really mean that? Do you know where that, that lie goes back to? You know where that question derives itself? Genesis chapter 3. And the serpent came to, to Adam and Eve and, and, and they said, hey, we're not to eat from, from, from this tree. You know, and, and we think it's an apple, but we don't know. That's just somebody trying to wreck the apple industry. You know, and, and we don't want to do that, but especially here in the Okanagan. It doesn't matter the fruit. It, it, it's it's, it's what, what they ended up doing. They disobeyed. Because somebody who's just put that little question there. Did God really say that? I, I think it's probably okay. You know, over the years, as a pastor, over 20-some years, I guess now, I've performed many funerals, far more funerals than, in, in a sense, that I care to, and yet have been honored to be a part of everyone. I believe that at funerals is a great time, the best time, even over marriages, Honestly, and anyone thinking about getting married or if I've married you um, in the past, don't take offense to this, but I'd rather preach at a funeral than at a wedding. And, and there, because you can lay out the gospel and people are, are hurting and they are, are looking for answers and looking for truth. And so I've been privileged and yet painfully so um, to perform many funerals and, 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 and some of them glorious, glorious home goings of godly people, thrilled to have been a part of, of various grandparents, whether it was Charlotte's grandmother or my own grandparents, to be a part of those funeral services. What an honor. What a glorious home going of, of godly saints who lived a good life and suffered well till the end. But then there's been those heart-wrenching, sad, sad stories from one of the saddest ones. It was an eight-year-old eight boy who was playing with his friend upstairs in, in their parents' house and discovered their dad's loaded shotgun under the bed. And you know what happened. There was a funeral. It ended up taking place in a devastated family and community. To car accidents and suicides and many other tragic endings. And at every funeral that I've been to, folks, you have to understand this. It's always assumed that that loved one is in heaven. They're looking down on us. They're with us now. 
There's a lot of weird things that end up getting said in that way to comfort the families and, and to give hope. And, and we like that idea. We run to that idea. We cling to that idea of heaven. But if we love the idea of heaven and it seems at death everyone does, should we not go to the word of God where we see heaven presented to us in the first place and see what is the criteria for getting to heaven rather than just coming up with our own understanding, our own thoughts, or this person said this, or my grandma told me this, or this pastor said this. Should we not look to what God's word says? We need to be people who are obeying the word of God and, and allowing it to examine our lives. It's in the word of God where we see the truths about heaven and, and, and how to get there. And so it's important that we obey the word of God and not just come up with our own interpretations and our own thinking. We need scripture interprets scripture and the best way to study the word of God is with the word of God. And it goes on, then it continues in verse 5, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. And again, the idea of perfected, it says here, it says, uh, in him truly the love of the Lord is perfected. Some translations will say completed. That means that there's a process underway. It won't be fully perfected and completed until we're in heaven. But there's a process underway. We can't obey perfectly, but we obey increasingly. It's a growing pattern of obedience in our life. Is there a growing a pattern of obedience to the word of God in your life? Or is it just flatlined? Or are you actually kind of digressing? You've got to ask yourself that question. God's word is very clear in all areas of life. And, and we need to study God's word to find out those truths and those answers. One area that, that is very clear an area of obedience, initial area of obedience for followers of Christ. As we see throughout the New Testament, we are to repent and to be baptized. Baptism is one of those steps of obedience to show that we are in Christ, that we are following Christ. And this happens after we've given our life to Jesus Christ, that he's become our Lord and our Savior, and we've said, yes, I'm going to walk his way. Then the next step from that is to be baptized. And, and so oftentimes we, we just kind of, you know, just, just let that um, not sink in or we just think, well, I'll do it some other time. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And it's an important first step for the believer to publicly declare their love, their faith in Jesus Christ. To be able to declare the gospel before their family and their friends and, and, and in the spiritual realms to identify with Jesus in his life and death and burial and resurrection. That's why it's a water baptism. That's why we do that. And if God is calling you to do that, you haven't taken that step of obedience, let's get on that. You fill out a card, you talk to me afterwards, we'd love to have a baptism um, service out in the lake in June. You say, I don't like water, I don't like getting wet. Well, you know what, we'll help you overcome your fear of water and we'll deal with the pride issue about getting wet and, and looking funny in front of people. Um, oftentimes, or, or speaking, just all the different reasons that we can come up with, this is an area of obedience that God calls us to. And it goes on in verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The word abide there means to rest in, to settle down in, to remain, to, to draw life from. We talked about that in, in our um, God time message as we are going through the 5G life. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Like branches that are connected to the vine. The vine is the source and, and the branches receive life from the vine and from that how comes the fruit? We don't produce the fruit. The fruit comes from the vine. And so the branch draws this life from the vine. And, and so we draw our life from Jesus. 
We can't, I can't live a disciplined life for very long. I, I, I can live a disciplined life for, for a while when it comes to areas of, of study and reading God's word and time in the word, but, but Jesus ends up becoming, by his Holy Spirit, our capacity to be able to endure and to be able to continue on. It's his life, his power flowing through us to be obedient to his word. Obedience to the word of God is a natural outflow of abiding and it leads to fruitfulness. And fruitfulness comes as we abide in Christ, as we are connected to him. So you say, how do I stay away from sin? But sin, it's all around me. I'm so distracted. Spend time with Jesus. When we do sin, we lose that grip of Jesus in our life. We repent. We, we confess those areas of sins and we spend time with Jesus. Love is the hardest thing to sin against. When we love Jesus, we're not going to want to sin. We're going to want to obey him and we're gonna we want to follow him. And as we grow and deepen in our love for Christ... Sin becomes, loses its grip hold on us more and more. As, but when we position ourselves in places of temptation and sin that draw us away from God, we're on the slippery slope and it's dangerous. And so today, examine your own heart and, and you need to ask yourself the question, is there a pattern of obedience to God's word in your life? Again, not perfectly, but increasingly. Only you can truthfully answer that. How are you doing when it comes to obeying the word of God? As you hear it proclaimed, as you see it in the word, when you read it, when, when, when there's that conviction in your heart that you just know what you're doing is wrong, are, are you quick to confess and to make that right and to draw life and healing from Jesus? And then the next thing we see here, my salvation is authenticated by loving others deeply. Verses seven, we'll start reading. Beloved, I write to you no new command, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is light, he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What's John saying here? This gets really confusing, these verses here. He's talking about, you know, is he kind of losing it? Is he now showing that he's in his mid to late 80s, you know, early 90s perhaps even? You know, is he saying no new commandment, but an old commandment, a new commandment? And he's kind of like back and forth. What's he talking about? Is dementia starting to settle in here for John? Absolutely not. He's just kind of circling in here to remind us of this new old commandment, which is actually a new commandment again. And he's reminding us that, and it goes back from the Old Testament, that we love God and we're also to love our neighbors. But then he goes back to John 13, which, which, which he had penned sometime earlier. Words that Jesus had said in John 13, when, John, when Jesus said, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, love one another like I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When Jesus had finished washing his disciples' feet just hours before he was arrested and crucified on the cross, he gave this new commandment. He says, this new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. The new commandment is an old commandment which was the new command that Jesus had given. And basically, we, we, we will kind of give up on all of that back and forth sort of thing. Basically, what John is saying, this is important. Blessed assurance is authenticated in our love 
shown by our willingness to serve brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a key indicator of our love for God. Are we loving brothers and sisters in Christ? If a person says, I love God so much, I can't wait to open my Bible in the morning, I can't wait to get to church and worship, and yet he hates another Christian, he's a liar. And, and that's not, it's not me saying that, so, so don't look at me. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm the messenger here of what John is saying and what the Holy Spirit told him to write. He said, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He, he doesn't love God. He's walking in darkness, and that's serious. But folks, here's a reality. After disobedience to the word of God, I mean, that we've already covered that. That's, 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 that's a huge warning sign in our lives. But after disobedience of areas in our life to the word of God, one of the biggest reasons Christians get out of fellowship with Christ and with the church is a failure to get along with other Christians. You know, it can be so much easier to, to do your book work properly, to not cheat, to not steal, to not watch bad TV shows, not to have any bad curse words come out of your mouth. Sometimes it's in your head, but you know, it's not coming out of your mouth. They don't know what's, what's going on. And, and, and it's easier to serve or do all these things than to love and to forgive a brother or sister in Christ who has hurt you. Jesus even demonstrates that love that he shows that he's telling his disciples to live in a willingness to get on his feet. I mean, don't you think he had a little bit more going on in his, in his head, in his mind, anticipating the cross, and yet he humbles himself, takes the form of a servant, and washes his disciples' feet? It's not just saying, I love you. It's showing that he loved them. But later, we even see it in a greater way in his willingness to forgive. Peter, who... One of his own, one of his top three, denied him, absolutely denied him. And later on, we see how Jesus forgave him and restored him. You see, the reality is, folks, as you walk as a believer in Christ, hurt will happen. You won't get out of your earthly family without being hurt, will you? Are you kidding me? In your earthly family? I mean... A lot of you are from dysfunctional homes. I'm from a dysfunctional home in so many ways. Even though we went to church and all that. Why? Because sin pervades at times in our lives. And, and we get selfish and prideful. And, and, and just in the same way that we won't get out of our earthly family without being hurt. You won't get out of the body of Christ. You won't get out of this family without at some time being hurt. I'll just be honest with you folks. Sometimes church is not fun. It isn't. You will get hurt by another believer or someone who says they're a believer. You will also cause hurt at some time or another to another believer. You just will. Someone will irritate you. They'll rub you the wrong way. They'll say something about you that, that was uh, not correct or not right. Yet we just can't shove it under the carpet and just ignore and suppress and say, I just won't talk to them or it just won't be a big deal. You just can't hold a grudge. You just can't say, well, you know, I'll just be the bigger man. I'll just be the bigger woman. Some of us are pretty big. Hurt happens, but here's the thing if we're not careful. Hurt can lead to hate. It just can. And hurt not being dealt with 
will funnel itself towards hatred sooner or later because we're cherishing, we're holding on to this area in our life. And if we don't deal with that hurt, it will grow faster, it will grow in our lives, it will fester, and it will cause a lot of damage. Sin that we do not conquer will eventually conquer us. Some uncle of mine put that on Twitter this past week, and I just thought, that's just, just going with what we're saying. Maybe he's listening online. Sin that we do not conquer will eventually conquer us. <laughs> a number of years ago, Charlotte, she, she loves gardening, hated it as a child, detested it when she had to work on the farm and do all this gardening. Now she just loves it. We have a little plot in our backyard, not too huge or anything, but she loves just tinkering around there and just watching things grow. And, and um, I enjoy watching her, uh, enjoy watching that. And, and um, it's, uh, yeah, watching the bird, ah, just all of that, right? But a few years ago, she planted some mint in the garden. Just thought, wouldn't it be nice to have our own mint? And we're like, yeah, great idea. Now, some of you know what mint does in the garden. You cannot stop it. You cannot control it. Like that, that stuff, we are pulling mint out from all over in the garden. And it's running these little shooters all over the place. I even asked, asked her this morning, is it still going? Is it still alive? You know, like, I mean, I even go in there with... Uh, banned substances at times to, to try to help get rid of this mint problem that's growing. I mean, it's wonderful for water or for however, you know, tea. She has uh, some uh, friends at work that she's giving mint to in the middle of summer constantly. But it just, it, it just kind of grows under the surface. These roots are all over. The roots run, run far. Not even all that deep, but they run far. And they spread and they show themselves all throughout the garden, throughout the course of the year, the same thing. When our hurt, when we don't deal with it, when we just kind of think, okay, I'll be the bigger person. I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to suppress it. I'll put it under the carpet. It's, you know, whatever. And we don't deal with that. Just like how mint can suck the life out of the other roots that it's growing around. Our lives, the power that God has for us gets sucked out as well. And we're living in defeat and discouragement. And remember, hurt can eventually become hate if we don't deal with it. And instead of running or seeking revenge, I have a really good mind when it comes to revenge. I'll tell you this. Like, there are things that this week I was plotting in my mind at times towards Anaheim Ducks and how they treated my Edmonton Oilers, you know? And, and it's just like, oh, just give me a moment with that Regina boy that, that, that Ryan gets left, you know? And, you know and, 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 but then in more serious things other than sports, th th there are other things that can go on that, that, that end up, you know, like, hey, I, I could get revenge. I've got a pretty sharp tongue. I could say some things. I could, I could cause a little dust up as well. But instead of getting revenge or just running and just kind of sweeping it under the car carpet, we need to move towards that situation. We need to move towards that hurt in forgiveness and love. You say, but I can't do it. Not after what they said. Not after what they did. I don't have the capacity. Exactly. You don't have the capacity. Nor do I. But when we abide in Christ, when we are connected to him, he gives us the capacity. He gives us the power. He allows that fruitfulness to flow, the fruit of forgiveness to, 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 to be grown in our lives. And it takes time. And that's where we run to Jesus for help in that. Christ loved the church even though she is wrinkled and flawed and at times very, very broken. He is deeply committed to his church. And if we are abiding in Christ, we will not run from it. We won't run from fellowship. We will share that same love and that commitment that Christ showed to the church.
And so this morning, I wonder, how can we live what we've learned here today? There's these three important realities that we've been looking at. Jesus, obedience, and love. Have we responded to Jesus? Do we understand the gospel? Have we allowed him to do that work? My salvation is accomplished by Jesus. Do you know Jesus today? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? And have you been saved? Second of all, is there a steady pattern of obedience to God's word in your life? We're not talking perfect obedience. We're talking, is there a pattern of, of, of continual increasing obedience and love for the word of God? Do you, do you sense that it's changing you, that, that, that you're not just learning it, but you're living it? What's the big deal about just learning it if you're not living it? And then finally, is there a growing, deepening love for others? Am I a more loving person than I used to be? Am I growing in tenderness and compassion? Or is there a hurt? Is there a festering hurt? If there is, folks, we have to be so careful. We need to deal with that. This is a serious where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. And only you can truly answer those questions. No one can answer those questions for you. A number of years ago, I was walking through a very difficult season of hurt and confusion. And I came across a sermon that I listened to that challenged me big time on the backside of the mountain behind our house. I don't know how many times I listened to that message. And it gave me the understanding, but also it led me through the biblical understanding of forgiveness and then also a process to victory. And by God's grace and by his power, I started experiencing and walking in that victory that I give him thanks for on the backside of the mountain. Wednesday night, Lord willing, is part of our prayer night. We're going to watch a shortened version of that, of that message that profoundly impacted my life and gave me much help and encouragement and a process to understand the forgiveness that is necessary to the hurt that will come or has come in your life. I encourage you to come. We're going to worship Jesus. We're going to spend time being challenged from the word of God for about 20 minutes or so. And then we're going to spend some time together in prayer for and with one another. I believe that, that, that these areas, the obedience to God's word and the hurts that we can have can impact our lives and our joy and our churches so greatly. And if we are growing in these areas, watch out church, watch out life, watch out family, watch out neighborhoods, watch out communities. Don't ever underestimate God's ability to take the bitter experiences and make them a blessing. Don't ever underestimate what God can do. Even those bitter things that you're walking in right now, God can take those experiences and make them and cause them to be some of the biggest blessings in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that blessed assurance is a gift from you today. And you want us as your children to walk in freedom and joy in full assurance. And even now as you just even have been examining, I trust your heart in these things we've been talking about. Do you know Jesus today? Have you repented of your sins and turned to him and believed in the finished work of Christ on the cross for your sins? Is there that consistent pattern of obedience? Not perfectly, but increasingly. Is there a growing love for others? Is there a hurt that you need to work through? And even just saying, yeah, there's a hurt I need to work through and be honest with God before that. And, and we want to walk with you and that we want to pray with you through that. If those are growing items in your life, those three, 
I believe God's word then allows us to ask for the gift of assurance. I encourage you, just even the quietness now, even to, to ask him for that gift of assurance. Because again, in Romans 8, 15, we talked about this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You don't have to fall back into doubt. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if these realities are growing in your life, you can ask him for that gift of assurance in your life and just take that by faith and thank him and say, I love you, Jesus. I've repented of my sins. And God, I want to obey your word and may be pliable and obedient to your word. And God, may I have a growing heart and a love for others, to serve others, to love them, to forgive them. God, I pray that these would be growing realities and this is the path to life. This is the path to joy. And it is the path to knowing for sure that we know you. We love you, Jesus, and thank you for this gift. And I pray that today there would be, all of us today would be doing this examination and, and either coming to you for salvation or walking and receiving this gift of assurance in our lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.